Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 163 of the show, and today we've got Madison McHale Bush joining us from Point. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Madison's got a great story. She's got a lot of experiences that all of us can learn from. So stay tuned, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we jump into that interview, though, we got to take a quick moment to thank some of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. Their next event is on July 24th, Community Service Day, with a happy hour afterwards, meant for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and community-driven professionals across the city. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is small, B-I-Z, cares org conquering columbus is also brought to you in part by the sundown group the sundown group is an ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors mentors capital and talent through business pitch events workshops and classes throughout the state and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org and now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Madison McHale Bush joining us, and Madison is the founder and CEO of Point, as well as the director of corporate development at Gnome DX, a DNA testing company. And Point designed an app to help connect people with charity opportunities in their city. Last September, they secured 200K in funding and currently have almost 4,000 users and over 100 participating charities in Columbus. We're very excited to have Madison on the show today to talk about the development process and her plans for the future at Point. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Madison. Thanks. Yeah, and thanks for joining us. It's a uh, Wednesday afternoon. Sorry, I'm losing track of the day, but uh, 
typically kind of one of the places we like to start is take a step back, talk about how you got to where you are today, and some of the key stops along your life and career before founding points. So feel free to take it away. Well, thanks. When I look back and I, I look back at the whole story, I'm kind of shocked about how I got here. I first started, um, actually, let's go back even further than that. My parents, my dad is a Egyptian-American immigrant, or Egyptian immigrant, and my mom is from Portsmouth, Ohio, home of the opioid crisis, and they're a very unlikely pair, and they both did amazing things to kind of get where they were today. So growing up in our household, I, I think it was a bit different. I, when I was, I think I was eight years old, my dad looked at me and was like, you need a job. And I'm like, eight. And uh, he's like, he would have us mulch the yard. And he's like, go knock on these people's doors and go mulch their yard. So me, as an eight-year-old, is like carrying these large bags of mulch around my neighborhood with bare feet because in defiance, I'm not going to wear shoes. And I started my little like mulching company. And I think that was like my first taste of doing something, starting something, going out and uh, trying to get clients, which was really my dad probably paying my neighbors to let an eight-year-old like mulch their yard. Or getting paid because his eight-year-old daughter was mulching their yard. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And I did a lot of other crazy, just, I, I liked doing my own thing. So I, I started Taekwondo programs. Yes. Think of a, a little Egyptian-American girl, like doing Taekwondo. It's it's confusing, but it happened. And uh, started my own like schools and programs where I taught a lot of different kids. I have an army of ninjas. And uh, then I went to college and I had thought of this idea in the back of my mind, not point, but another idea. And it was this giving website. And I thought, why isn't it easy to give? I remember crying in my middle school classroom about some movie on global poverty. And when I watched the movie, I was like, man, it needs to be easy for someone to do good. So I had this idea of this like website, it was going to be awesome, people could find a country and a cause and they could donate to reliable charity and we had this algorithm where we calculated all the world bank data and like consolidated it into like this answer of this is where you should give. So I started that when I was 18, I hired a developer, he's like 56 years old and I was 18 and I went into a lawyer's office and I was like, I need to start a nonprofit. And uh, it was one, it was called One Life, the name wasn't very good. And so we launched this website. It took me forever to build it, finding people to build it. And then when I got, you know, this up and running, surfing the internet died. It's like 2000, I don't know, 13, 14. And everyone had been on StumbleUpon and then no one was on StumbleUpon. So the website basically failed. We raised, you know, 20,000 some dollars for charity. We had 10 university chapters across the campus. And it was just kind of like, this is not going to go anywhere. So I took it down and I kind of restarted. And I thought, well, the giving thing is kind of done. Google was doing it. But volunteering, doing something good, wasn't being done. So then I started from there. That's like a story of my whole past. That was a good, succinct summary. And I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't leverage your army of ninjas a little more in your business <laughs> idea. But it's, I mean, it's an interesting. So it's interesting that at 18, you started a business that raised $20,000 for charity and you called it a failure. I mean, I'm trying to, like, make this, like, a national thing. And, okay. I think Josh is, uh, <laughs> Josh is drowning in his smart water over there. Yeah, it's not very smart water. It's choking. All right. Keep going. You're, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I'm recovered. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it, it was fine. 
but it wasn't going to take off. And the brand and the positioning and the behavior of the public was just going in a different direction. And I think when you see those things happen, you have to pivot. And it's not, there's no shame in it. You just have to do it. Or you're just going to be pounding the road on something that's probably never going to go anywhere. So you get done and you get done high school and you're ready to go off to college, but you're kind of entrepreneurial at the same time. So can you talk us through, you know, why you decided to go to college and not just continue to do your own thing and then what you decided to focus on when you got to college? Right. Um, so talking about my parents and what's expected in the family is like you're going to college. Everyone has multiple degrees in my family. Uh, my mom was actually the first person in her family to go to college, but my dad's family, it's a thing. So that's why I went. And I, I thought about dropping out a couple times, and it's just the family shame would just be too great. Um, so I stayed <laughs> in. Um, and actually, I thought really the family shame was not completing grad school. So, I mean, I thought, I, I even studied for the GRE. I took the GRE. Um, I'm literally ready to go. And I, like, finished a couple applications and didn't send them in uh, because I was like, I, I, my boyfriend now husband uh, was like are you gonna do this or not and I'm like you know what I am and I didn't send in those applications and you know my mom still asked me when are you going back to school so I I feel like a dropout like a grad school dropout that never made it but the application is literally the hardest part I see think, there I think you once go you get in, in the rest, <laughs> I mean it's not that bad yeah. Josh just finished his up so uh, he knows from experience but it's I mean there's it's a really interesting, like, one of the things that I really like about the way you told that story is it gives a lot of insight in the way you think and the way that you go about business because you're considering a lot of different factors and the fact that you, you said, hey, this has chance, but it doesn't have the legs I want. I want something national. I want to make an impact. Uh, really tells a lot about what your goals are and, and where you're heading. So after grad school or oh, not well, grad school. Not grad school. Not grad school. Write some applications. What, <laughs> what did you decide to do after that when is that when you know you start getting the idea for point or yeah yeah well the, the idea for point came a bit earlier when I was starting one life I started it in college I went to capital and I went to capital because capital offered me basically a full ride and I'm thinking great no debt and so I, I'm at capital and you know one life's not really taken off not doing too much and people are telling me, oh, you're a social entrepreneur. I didn't even know what the word meant. Um, I think when someone told me I was an entrepreneur, I went to the bathroom and I Googled it because I had no clue. So it wasn't like this is something that I wanted to do. It wasn't like my identity was in this. I'm like the science nerd that's trying to do tech at the same time. And I'm falling asleep in my classroom because I'm working with developers in San Francisco. And I'm like failing anatomy exams. Like I'm a, I'm a not so great scientist trying to do tech and science science student. I wouldn't call myself a scientist. But at that time when I realized it's not going well, I'm, I'm sitting in my dorm and I'm realizing that everybody is ordering food in, like Postmates, Grubhub, like people are bringing food in. I am looking at like vacations with Airbnb and I'm like trying to book a room in Spain for my phone. And I like pause and I'm thinking, wait a second, I know there's a soup kitchen down the street. How do I volunteer with them? Well, I have to go know the name of the charity, look it up. Then I have to like 
call whoever's managing their volunteers. It's probably this really sweet 85-year-old woman. I have to play phone tag with her for five days, and then I'm signed up. And I'm thinking, this is absolutely insane that it's easier for me to order in Thai food at 11 p.m. than it is for me to do something good down the street from where I live. And I thought that was so crazy that I just was like, I think we need to do something different. And that's where the pivot took place. And unfortunately, I, I, I was hoping that I was going to see somebody else doing it at that time. Like somebody else would be doing the idea and I would be able to go to grad school and live my happy science life and fulfill my parents' wishes and goals and live happily ever after. And that's not what happened. So I then college, uh, graduated, lived in my parents' basement for a year, uh, tried the fundraise for the idea. I did a uh, Indiegogo campaign and tried to raise $20,000. It was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. I think I was like crawling and scraping the ground for pennies to get to $20,000. I went to every single Rotary Club in Columbus and like pitched. I think I got $100 total. I mean, it wasn't going very well. So me fundraising for point finally we got to twenty thousand dollars and that's where we started to take off and then the development process started which was its own hurdle that didn't also go so well so from the point that you had the idea that night to the point that you got the twenty thousand dollars like what duration is that that is i think about a year about a year when i had the idea a year where i kind of shut down the old company I lost my grandmother at that time, actually, and it was kind of a good start because my team fell apart in the old company. I was her caretaker, uh, one of her caretakers at the time, along with you know, a bunch of other members of my family, and it was just a good closure time. So when we started everything back up, it was, it was very different, and it was very different than what it is today. So we raised $20,000. And then we hired a development team out in San Francisco. So I went out to San Francisco a couple times, and lo and behold, they are basically bamboozling me out of my money. I don't know anything about the tech process at that time. You know, I'm fresh, uh, fresh out of college as you know, biology and chemistry minor, and I handed over my ideas, and they took six months to wireframe. Like it's horrible. It's it was so, so horrible. Josh will spit you out a wireframe in like 10 minutes. Yeah, see, this him. is, right. And at the time, I'm thinking, I'm not qualified to do this. You have to hire a firm, X, Y, Z. So they, they took half the money. And uh, luckily, we were able to get some of that back through some legal, you know, precautions that we had taken. But I was out in San Francisco. I realized I had blown the money that I just spent a year trying to raise. And I tweeted, where can I get $5,000? Which is what you do when you're desperate, like you turn to Twitter. And I had someone said, wait, hold on a second. Give me five minutes, I think they said on the tweet. I'm like, okay. I didn't think that was going to go that well. And they, I didn't get the $5,000, but... They connected me with the senior engineer. Wow, I can't talk. Senior engineering manager at Twitter, and I ended up having coffee with him um, at Twitter. And I sat down, and he basically was like, "Well, you're on the road to failure. You're going to be toast in two weeks." And I was like, "Thanks for the advice." And he he said, "Do plan A and plan B at the same time." So I left. I was on the flight back to Ohio. It was the day before Thanksgiving, I think, 
and I had remembered a couple years back at a frat party at I was at my then boyfriend's frat party that a guy had mentioned hey if you ever need a nap let me know so I'm like I'm totally desperate at this time I get off the plane it's like 11 o'clock at night day before Thanksgiving I whip out my phone I call this guy and say hey how you doing happy Thanksgiving and he's obviously kind of shocked I'm calling him and uh, I was like hey remember the time at the frat party you'd said you make me a nap and he's like yeah yeah I do I'm like I know it's been two years but is that offer still good <laughs> and he said yeah yeah it's still good and I'm like great so what you do in life where are you working and he's he said oh I'm working at Google <laughs> so that uh, that worked out well and a week later he had basically I think it was two weeks later we had an MVP up and we just kind of banged it out and the guy from Twitter uh, saw because I'm like live tweeting as we go and this guy from Twitter saw our progress he called me and he said hey let me let me jump in on the MVP with you guys and he said I just can't believe you haven't completely sunk your company and he was so impressed that I hadn't completely blown everything up that he joined in and so when they joined in it gave us the footing to make that MVP and bring in other people. Uh, again, I had no money because I'd blown it, and it took us a while to build the, f- the full product, but that's that's how we got off the ground. So I guess in desperation, you have to tweet. That's my take-home message. Hey, can I get $5,000? So, <laughs> all right, everybody, you know what to tweet after this episode. Uh, but that, I mean, again, I think it ties back into that resourcefulness of an entrepreneur someone like yourself who's constantly going and looking at every different direction you can to solve a problem, even in the face of losing all your money to bamboozlers, as right, we call right, them. Right. Um, but, so you get the MVP off the ground, and what is the first, what is that process like? Like when you get involved, like when do you bring in some charities? Like are you testing with charities or are you testing with end users or both at the same time? Right, so we were testing with end users. And when we had built the MVP, we brought in about 40 people to test and they didn't like it. So we're like, great, you don't like this design. Again, I'm the one wireframing. I'm YouTubing how to wireframe. I'm trying to figure out how do we you know, change this. Um, and we had a lot of people in Columbus jump in and say, hey, we'll give you some help. And that's when I, you know, I mean, I'm Googling things like, what is UX? I, I have no idea at this point. So. We had a lot of people give us some really great feedback, and of course, that means when you get good feedback, you see what you're doing wrong. For us, it was half the app, so we scratched that, um, you know, built something again, and then once we were able to launch basically this beta version, we took it around to charities because at this point, no one in Ohio is going to give us any money because there's this some kid who has this app who has no experience and. You know, I'm walking in, I think my voice is like five times higher than it is now, and no one's giving me money. So we took it around to some charities, and we got a couple no's, a lot of no's. And then we met with Habitat and in Columbus, Ohio, and I met down, and EJ, who's the CEO at Habitat, in less than two minutes, I don't think we sat down. From the walk from the front door to his office, he was like, yes. And in two, I, I think we sat down and I think he explained more about what we were trying to do. And he's like, yeah, we would love to give you our feedback. We'd love to help you just, you know, give our feedback. 
And he's like, okay, we're good. I'm like, yeah, that's great. And he was out the door. And he brought in his staff members. And I promise you, it was it was less than like a five-minute conversation. But then having them on board and getting their advice uh, was really great. And they opened my eyes to some of the issues that charities also face and there was more there was a lot more charities we ended up talking to about 50 charities in Columbus and what I learned from those 50 charities was pretty shocking yes I was solving an issue that they really wanted to connect with younger individuals like 90% of them wanted to but I realized that nonprofits were stuck in the stone age and I didn't really understand the level of that until I actually talked with them for example, we did the survey and 75% of nonprofits in Columbus use pen and paper to sign their volunteers in and then they take those pen and paper and all that data that they've just gathered from you and they manually input it into their systems, whether that's Excel or whether that's like some database and they're normally photocopying things. Anyways, the onboarding process is ridiculous and it's 2019 and I have no, no, there's, I just don't understand why it can't be automated or why it isn't automated. And the reason for that is one, the existing systems are really expensive. Two, they're kind of clunky. Like I think they were built in 2010 and nobody's made updates since, it feels like. And there's just a lot more issues just than getting people in the door. It's what happens with them and their data and how do we manage them once they are through the door. So we're like, okay, great, we built this app. And they basically were asking us, can you build a CRM? And I'm like, yeah, of course, I just learned how to wireframe, I can totally do that. <laughs> so then we set out and we made this backend system. So now with Point, a charity can use Point and they can find and manage their volunteers in one place, which doesn't sound super exciting. So we don't tell the world like, hi, we're a nonprofit CRM. We're, we tell people we're like Airbnb for charity, which goes a little farther and makes people a little bit more excited than Salesforce-ish type talk. But yeah, that's who we are. And that really exploded. And now our goal is for that local organizations can have the same access to technology that enterprise level software has, which is kind of unheard of. And I really want to change the game for local charities. There's no reason why someone in our community can't do something good and have really good tools to do it. They shouldn't be operating off of Excel nonsense. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once-trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store or visit www.11thcandlecompany.com. That's www.11thcandlecompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. 
So as you're getting that feedback and then time's going on, you're making iterations, like how does that look when you're going back to your team and are you guys fully developing a product and going back or are you just changing the UI UX and then testing that? And then the final component of that multi-facet question is, what's the duration of that entire until you finally get to a point where you feel really comfortable with the product? Right, so we definitely have this idea that um, to iterate often and to make those small steps small step changes. When we had decided, okay, we're gonna be building a CRM, we had already built this like, you know, on Airbnb when you're a host, you go into a different part of the website and you upload things just like you would like an Eventbrite event. We already had that capability, but now we're like, okay, now what are we doing with the data that we've captured? And are we gonna build features upon that data? And it, you know, that's a group decision. Um, Alex is our CTO and he, he might listen to this and probably disagree with everything that I'm saying. But yeah, I'm sure they wanted to kill me at times, but I think we had this idea of, okay, now we gotta do something with this data and let's get a whole bunch of feedback. How we build is that, you know, we'll do a wireframe, we'll go show it to our nonprofit partners. They tell us if they like it or not because I'm not gonna go spend money and build something they don't like anymore. I learned that the first time. So yeah, now we do small scale iterations and we're coming out with the school platform later this year, which is pretty exciting. And we have a couple uh, schools ready to jump on board and uh, we'll keep on you know, using that platform for other organizations to use. There's a lot going on, it sounds like. You're, you're at 4,000 users now, 100 charities in Columbus. What does the team look like today compared to, like, as you continue to grow, what it looked like early on? Right. So now we have a, actually full-time people working on Point, which is absolutely the most exciting thing for a founder. I tell people I feel like I, I will have made it when I have full-time people and I can provide snacks. I feel like I've really hit the, the start of goals. <laughs> but we have about four people working on Point full-time outside of me, so five. And uh, most of those are developers. And then we have one uh, community outreach person uh, in Columbus, her name's Steph, and then there's me. And yeah, I forget the rest of your questions, but that's what we look like now. And oh, as compared to what we were. What we were is I was asking anyone and everyone to help us. If you could give me five hours a week, I would say, yes, please join my team, help me out. Now we need everybody to be on full steam, you know, how many hours a day. So we've been dwindling down the team, but I think it's a really good consolidated effort to have a really focused group. And that original person that helped you develop it, did you steal him from Google? Is he with you now or? His name's Rocky, Tyler Rockwood. Um, he's not. He helped us build the MVP and then passed it off. But no, he, he's not with us currently. But he'll he'll always be uh, just like this monumental story that I, I have to, to tell. And all the time that he and he and Tim, which Tim was from Twitter, put in. I mean, if they hadn't put that time in, I don't think that I would have been able. Well, maybe I had. I might have tweeted and found somebody else. But it would have been really tough. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing today? Scaling. Scaling is a whole new thing. Now that we're basically finished building, we're, we're finishing up the biggest parts of the development process, especially for this new platform that's coming out for schools, we're thinking, how do we scale? How do we get into new cities? How do we get a lot of people in Columbus on? You know, 4,000 is 
fine. It's it's not where we want to be. We want to raise that number to 35,000, 40,000 people. What it, what would it look like if 40,000 people in our city were on the same platform, on the same central point huh, that could support the local nonprofits that are needing our help here? So I think that with those numbers, we start to transform the community. Right now, we're helping, but we're not transforming. We're not tr- transforming the way that you know, the whole process functions. So I think that with scale comes really big change and that's what we need to bring about. And you kind of talked it a little bit there, but what are your goals for the next, you know, three to five years? Do you have KPIs set out or a number of team members that you want to have on board or anything? Yeah, so our KPIs are built because we're also a social company. They're built on some of the social impact that we want to see. So some of those KPIs include how many events are on point, and in what geographic location those events are. So are we hitting the areas of town that need support? You know, are we sending people to the areas that have a really, you know, their low socioeconomic status in some sort of way? Other KPIs are just off the number of times that you as a user go to volunteer. So I'm trying to mobilize and sometimes, let me back up, sorry, a charity will say a person is an active volunteer, maybe if they volunteer once a year. What if we made our, you know, a goal for point is to get that person to do twice a year, to do three times a year? Because it's so darn easy and it's right in your hand to do so. So our, our KPIs are really built off of, yes, scale, like we want to have 25,000 users in each city. We want to have 500 charities, the, that type of those type of numbers that would be normal but it's also built on how much impact and what's the depth of impact that we are that we're having on our team i would like to see us as a team of nine or ten really uh, building out more of the community impact space so we can really help our charity partners because they want our tech support they want they want to talk to us so i think we we want some more people to do that or i mean i can really tell you my hopes and dreams and say yeah i'm going to be a company of 200 but no, it makes a lot of sense, especially as you start to scale up. So, you know, it's funny, we're going through something similar here at FMX where we're starting to scale and we have to put all these processes in place that were never there, right? right? And those processes provide the kind of the platform for growth. So it makes a lot of sense sitting where we are with FMX. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good place to kind of tra- transition, excuse me, into some miscellaneous questions, and, and one of the ones I wanted to ask you is you, you jumped into entrepreneurship really young age, kind of, I mean, eight years old, planting, <laughs> planting mulch in people's yards pretty young, uh, but a lot of our listeners out there are young professionals, entrepreneurs, people considering being entrepreneurs. What advice would you have for those, those people out there listening? If they want to do their own thing, I think you just find time to do it. Maybe my whole life has been built around just doing it, so I feel like I'm not a great person to give advice but if I would to start now I think I would just carve out time to do it like what are you doing when you go home you know are you building out what you think you want your company to look like or your best case scenario and you take that best case scenario and you think okay what is the steps to get there how do I get there I think just start somewhere carve out that time and just do it and also always validate your problem because I think a lot of people jump into something that doesn't need to be solved. And I think that if you have something worth solving, that will get you really far in the long run and it'll keep you really motivated. 
So I think that you should just validate and find time to do it. That's great advice, Madison, and a, and a good place to transition to our last question of the show. It's, it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that one for a podcast about entrepreneurs, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how's it applied to your life point? Do things you're afraid of. I think that if you want to be, I don't know, impactful or to be different or to start something new, you constantly have to do things that you're afraid of. Well, Madison, that's a great answer. And we really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story and the story of Point here on our show. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That was Madison McHale Bush. She's the CEO and founder of Point. And if you want to learn more about Point, you want to download the app, sign up, check it out, the links down in the show notes, and uh, start volunteering. And again, if you like that episode, leave us a like, give us a rating on iTunes. Appreciate your support every week. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. Their next event is on July 24th, Community Service Day, with a happy hour afterwards, meant for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and community-driven professionals across the city. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire 
to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.